I read um, AAVE or um, Black Sinning to Jesus's tone sometimes. <laughs> uh, I can hear him say, my girl, you know that ain't it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, welcome to Applying Jesus. We are in season one, and this is episode five. Can't believe we just cruised all the way to five. And I am Amy Vogel. I'm the director of spiritual growth for our church, Upper Room Heights. And I'm just glad that y'all are here to be with us for the experience this week as we continue on this journey of learning how we apply our faith in Jesus to our lives. So as always, I like to say it, our goal in this time together is to be a brave and collective space where we can explore the dynamics and application of our faith in Christ all through the lenses of love, relationship, empathy, and action, which happen to be our values at UR Heights. Today, we are, we are actually going to finish up our series on applying Jesus to hard conversations. Um, I had a moment in our time with Reverend Omar last week where I was like, well, I don't know where we're going to go from here. I don't know what we're going to say. And so um, I, I talked with Tawana and I thought about it. And so we've, we've kind of tweaked the schedule a little bit. We were going to take this one more week, but we're going to end it this week. And um, this last episode, it continues to be about growing in what it means to pay attention to ourselves and how to, to use our faith, to use what we know of Christ and of the example of his life in these hard conversations and in these delicate situations that we might find ourselves, whether that's with family or friends or fellow churchgoers or shoot people at the dry cleaners. There was a guy in line behind me there. I was like, well, okay, just today. So I, uh, I was able to remember what I learned and remembered that I have the spirit of God in me. And so I don't have to roll my eyes that hard. I, I can be nice. <laughs> I can be nice and just let be peaceful standing in line, be a, a source of peace in the room. So <clears throat> what I want you to walk away from tonight and, and as always, as we go through this material each Monday night and in each episode is I want you to have a, a great, greater understanding of your faith and those practical tools to apply what you know to whatever you encounter. There's always a way to look at our lives through the eyes of Jesus and discover there's a new depth, there's a new growth that's possible, there's a new wonder to be held. And to steal the words of Reverend Omar last week, there's always an opportunity to get on the agenda of Jesus. So this is about being equipped and in that process, we're going to be transformed. And so we're going to keep up with our same methodology that we've been using these last four weeks, which is we're, we're not going to actually, I'm going to, we're tweaking it a little bit because we're not going to go into detail about any particular, very specific biases, although we could, we really could, but we're going to use the idea of bias, use the idea of our story is the one that matters to quote Omar again, to use this idea and look at a passage of scripture in which Jesus is interacting with multiple types of people, different types of people, and see how, how just the overall concept of bias and binary thinking and only my story matters plays itself out in that story and how Jesus redirects 
the people in the room, the people that he's interacting with back to his agenda. And so I'm fortunate because I've got a, a well-known friend to us that's been with us several weeks in this series. And so I want to pause and say, welcome back to Wana. Tawana Antwine. Thank you so much for having me back. We had a chance to catch up right before we started this. And it's always, always a great time to be with you. And she's, Tawana is not only a DEI specialist and a consultant, but also a follower of Christ who is leaning hard into what it means in our time to be a peacemaker. Y'all, she's got so many skills. She's got so much knowledge. And I learn from her literally every day when I look at her stories on Instagram and when we have the opportunity to, to message and to text, I learn literally every day. So thank you for joining us again. And, um, and I'm glad we are continuing to get to develop this friendship and partnership by doing this, these ministry, crazy ministry opportunities together. So I talked about, uh, I talked about Omar, but um, I wanted to ask you because you've seen the write-up and because you were there last week, but what are you most looking forward to discussing tonight? Well, storytelling is my absolute favorite thing. Actually, the um, the tagline for my company, MindShift LLC, is transforming lives through storytelling. So I'm looking forward to just um, talking about it and talking about ways that we can um, talk to each other and tell each other our stories. How did our discussion last week, how did that change for you what we're doing or did it? I mean, I know you're a storyteller too, so... <laughs> Yeah, so um, it definitely gave me a lot to think about. Um, one of the things that stood out most for me, a couple of things actually, is when you called Omar an agitator and he was uh -huh. excited about that. And, and then he <laughs> added that um, he compared himself basically to, to cow manure or fertilizer. Um, <laughs> And the and the re so the reason that stood out to me is because I also was listening to a sermon um, that Christian preached a couple weeks ago, um, and one of the things that he said that stuck out to me is that change doesn't happen without agitation. And so I appreciate that role um, that Omar has, that you have, that I have, that actually we all can have mm -hmm. um, in facilitating change through. Healthy disruption, I'll say. Healthy. Healthy is good. <laughs> Toxic, unhealthy. I think we've we've had enough of that, haven't we? Haven't yes. We? Uh, well, for me, in thinking about last week's episode, it comes down to two ideas. Is that the, the thing that's, that I remember him saying so clearly, clearly is that bias leaves no room for nuance. It's just, it is what it is or it is what is it isn't. It's either or. And there's... There's no room for anything in between. And that's, that's not what I see in scripture at all. There's so much nuance. There's so much depth and level. And, you know, the more I study and the more I learn, it just goes deeper and deeper and deeper. There are a million, maybe trillion rabbit holes you can go down, but, um, but it is, there's so, there's, there's so much what I would call fluidity more than flexibility that it's just you you know you move through these different themes and bias leaves no room for that whatsoever um and then you know that this whole idea of how often do i really stop to ponder just this this meta narrative of jesus's agenda for the whole world for the whole universe so you know i just um 
I just really, uh, I took a lot away. Like I said, I was like, okay, well, we can just end the series there. <laughs> like I did, I do want to add one, one more thing, but since yeah. you talked about um, nuance, because that's another thing that I, um, he didn't say this specifically, but I took from what he said in terms of storytelling and him and his comparing himself to, to fertilizer is um, storytelling can be a way to, I will call it fertilize or to prepare ground. Um, one of the reasons that I named my company MindShift is when you're dealing with change management, one of the things that has to change before your actions change is your mind, right? Mm -hmm. But also when we think about um, growth, especially from a spiritual standpoint, um, Jesus talks a lot about our hearts, right? So some of um, some of our growth comes from how we prepare our hearts. Um, and so I loved that analogy that he gave around, um, around nuance and also around us being prepared to not just come in and try to convince somebody else that we're right. But our, um, our story is really just sharing our own um, perspective and experiences, but it also um, in the process means us being willing to accept that someone's someone else's experience or their story could be different yeah. and so there, there's that room there for um, nuance and and willingness to even change your perspective or at least consider your perspective yeah yeah and that's your whole mo especially in your my stories course is is giving people or or at least cracking the door open for people to listen to somebody else's experience. Um, and we, we've talked so much about bias and confirm, confirmation bias in, in particular comes to mind, but just that idea that I, I already know what's right. My right. experience is what everybody else experiences. And, you know, even just looking at the two of us, we know right off the bat, that is, that's not going to be the case, even <laughs> though we do have so much in common, right. um, which I've really enjoyed finding out over these last couple of months that we've gotten to know each other, but uh, it might even be a year that when we first started talking, but it's, it's over a year. Yeah. Yeah. COVID. Yeah. Wow. Well, time flies when you're having fun. So, <laughs> um, but this is, this has continued to help me. Like I said, you know, even in line at the dry cleaners, when I want to roll my eyes, this, this helps keep me grounded and accountable to, to shifting my own perspectives and making sure that I, I have the right heart. And, you know, that goes back to what you were saying, as well as back to in Ezekiel, where the scripture says, I will um, write my law on their hearts. I will create a new heart, one of flesh and not of stone, and I will write my law on it. And so, right. you know, this, this all ties back to God's whole plan. And I love that we can spend this time approaching God's whole plan from really a, uh, a, a different kind of perspective. Um, and so it's going to be an interesting place tonight. Like I said, we're not going to spend any time necessarily defining any bias, specific biases. I will include that, that long list. And I've got lots of resources where you can go and, um, and read very specifically about what the biases are. And then, you know, I'm happy to also share any of the work that Brian McLaren did putting that together. And, and of course, I loved Omar's take, having met Brian and spent time with him, you know, after he read through that, after Brian's book, it's just, it's interesting. I just, I like having these different perspectives because it changes my whole outlook on the world. 
So, but since we're not spending that time going through bias, we're going to just jump right into the scripture. And it's a really interesting place to be at tonight because if tonight is about, and it is about discuss, discussing how we start these high, hard conversations, especially when biases are at work and they will be, and it doesn't matter if we're talking politics or religion or church or business bias is just something we live with it's it's the stories it's the habits it's the patterns that we we grew up with and so we're we're going to go straight to the scripture and look and see how this whole interaction happened um where where jesus was able to redirect it so tawana would you would you read it for us sure so we're reading from luke chapter 7 starting at verse 36 in the passion translation which says, afterwards, Simeon, a Jewish religious leader, asked Jesus to his home for dinner. Jesus accepted the invitation. When he went to Simeon's home, he took his place at the table. In the neighborhood, there was an immoral woman of the streets, known to all to be a prostitute. When she heard that Jesus was at Simeon's house, she took an exquisite flask made from alabaster filled it with the most expensive perfume, went right into the home of the Jewish religious leader, and in front of all the guests, she knelt at the feet of Jesus. Broken and weeping, she covered his feet with the tears that fell from her face. She kept crying and drying his feet with her long hair. Over and over, she kissed Jesus's feet. Then, as an act of worship, she opened her flask and anointed his feet with her costly perfume. When Simeon saw what was happening, he thought, this man can't be a true prophet. If he were really a prophet, he would know what kind of sinful woman is touching him. Jesus said, Simeon, I have a word for you. Go ahead, teacher, I wanna hear it, he answered. It's a story about two men who were deeply in debt. One owed the bank $100,000 and the other only owed $10,000. When it was obvious that neither of them would be able to repay their debts, the kind banker graciously wrote off the debts and forgave them all that they owed. Tell me, Simeon, which of the, the two debtors would be more thankful? Which one would love the banker most? Simeon answered, I suppose it would be the one with the greater debt forgiven. You're right, Jesus agreed. Then he spoke to Simeon about the woman still weeping at his feet. Do you see this woman kneeling here? She is doing for me what you didn't bother to do. When I entered your home as your guest, you didn't think about offering me water to wash the dust off my feet. Yet she came into your home and washed my feet with her many tears and then dried my feet with her hair. You didn't even welcome me into your home with the customary kiss of greeting, but from the moment I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't take the time to anoint my head with fragrant oil, but she anointed my head and feet with the finest perfume. She has been forgiven of all her many sins. This is why she has shown me such extravagant love. But those who assume they have very little to be forgiven will love me very little. Then Jesus said to the woman at his feet, all your sins are forgiven. Well, then it just goes on. All the dinner guests said among themselves, 
who is the one who can even forgive sins? Then Jesus said to the woman, your faith in me has given you life. Now you may leave and walk in the ways of peace. Where do you want to start? (laughs) Where do you want to start? The first thing that came to my mind in reading this passage again is about um, what the woman brought with her, right? Mm -hmm. She brought something that was really precious to her and Mm -hmm. was willing to give that up for Jesus. And it it made me think about how when Jesus asks us to follow him, and especially when we're asking for more, right? We're asking him to increase our territory. We're asking him to help us grow, um, give us more faith. Then in those um, exchanges, we're typically asked to give up something that's precious to us, right? Mm -hmm. And, And a lot of that is looks like things that are comfortable. He's asking us to basically disrupt our thoughts around what are the what are what's most valuable and precious to us and be willing to give that to him. Now have you ever encountered this? I'm sure you have, because you're you're a good church girl. I know you. <laughs> you listen to some sermons. So how has this approach of looking at, you know, whether it's the bias of Simeon or whether it's the bias or Simon depends on your translation, I guess, uh, the bias of, uh, the, the people hearing the people at the table, uh, the other guests, the, um, I didn't really think about the bias of the woman there. Um, but you know, how is it approaching it from that lens different than how you've encountered the way this scripture has been broken down in the past? One of the things that I've encountered in terms of dealing with people, dealing with judgment inside the church, dealing with um, people that have a certain slant that they're um, stuck in and they're determined they're not going to leave. Someone told me that something that I loved and hated at the same time quite a while ago, which is, you know, I was in this situation where I was, oh, this person is doing this and they're so hard headed and blah, blah, blah. Um, and they just said, yes, and Jesus loves them too. (laughs) No. (laughs) Be honest. Okay. It's Monday night. Let's be honest. (laughs) So, I mean, you know, sometimes it does take me a while to get there. Right. I want to, I want to start with, um, not what would Jesus do, but something the opposite. <laughs> but in, in the end, if I'm being honest with myself, we are called to love who and what he loves, mm-hmm. even if they're hard-headed, or even if they um, don't even believe in him. Our job is to exhibit his love. And sometimes it's just to be um, spread the seeds, the fruits of the spirit, even if they're not ready yet to receive them. Right. Right. That unripe fruit. (laughs) Unripe fruit. Um, You know, it's interesting to me that you say that too, just because in thinking about the context, what, what came to my mind is, well, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind is, yeah, I love, I, Luke has been consistently my favorite gospel um, over the course of my my true 20 years of Bible study, um, maybe not quite 20, getting close, but um, I've, I've recently gotten into Mark and I preached on Mark uh, yesterday and have continued to read in Mark, but I love that Luke drops these, these hints. He just drops these nuggets. He's like, 
you know, the very first line, the very first verse, the wor- first word is afterward. And you're like, oh, okay, wait, that's meant. <laughs> All right. We're- okay. We just, that means you just can't drop into the text. You've got to read it in context, but you know, it was so crazy about this and something that I've never connected because I always tend to view this as like a standalone situation where there's nothing standalone in scripture. Everything is is woven together. It's a story. You know, for me, it was always like this woman just drops in on this dinner party and like covers him with oil. Um, but what's interesting to me and thinking about what you just said is, um, you know, about how we're called to love. Well, he's talking to a Pharisee and the Pharisees defined love as following the morals, following the code, doing what the law said. And so if we're thinking about Simon's bias, the the Pharisee that, you know, who knows why he actually invited Jesus to dinner because right, right before we see um, Jesus like tangling with the Pharisees. They're like actually in an argument. They're actually in a debate. And um, it's interesting, one, that, you know, Simon invites him over and two, that um, Jesus goes <laughs> like it, and maybe he went, you know, maybe Simon invited him to trip him up or for politics, you know, political or the look of it. Maybe, you know, Jesus, Jesus in his ultimate love um, accepted because he knew he could somehow reach Simon as well. I mean, he certainly let Nicodemus come at him in the middle of the night. Talk to me about that. Um, just from that perspective, you know, S- Simon is a Pharisee who think who defines love by following the moral religious code and and keeping everybody accountable and in that. And so it's it's this this radical departure. And so how do you see that and how Simon is approaching the idea of love? Simon is approaching the idea of morality. Simon is approaching the, the situation. How do you see that bias working itself out here? In the Bible or in real life? Well, let's start with the Bible. <laughs> the Bible. And we can go to real life. Um, so what I, what I love um, about this passage and the way Jesus approached it was um, to start with something outside of the whole situation and just say, you know, sit down for a second, let me tell mm-hmm. you a story, mm-hmm. right? That's one of my favorite things mm-hmm. about him is just to kind of um, sometimes let people take a step back and think about, you know, a story and then he pulls in, you know, from that story, okay, well, you know, that this is how that relates to this situation. And this is why you should think about this differently. Um, And the other thing that I love about this is his radical approach um, to, especially to um, the folks that, you know, consider themselves to be the most religious, the most right, the, um, to just get folks to ask questions of themselves. Like, you know, they start out with, this is right, this is exactly how, and then he asks a question, and you're like, hmm, you know, and, and they start to kind of question what they were so sure about before, and that's my experience with Jesus now, is um, he's continually um, challenging me in all of the areas that I think I just really know for sure, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Especially right now. Now I feel like it's 
I don't even know if pressure cookers are right, the right, <laughs> but it just feels like everything is, you know, it's like a Lego set. He's taking it all apart. Right. Um, so, um, so let me ask you, why do you think the Pharisee invited him over? Um, my guess would probably just be, you know, to have um, that pat on the back, like, see, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm doing all the things I'm following you. Like you said, you know, come sit here on this high stool with me so we can show the world how great we all are. Mm. Um, and that's another thing oh, yeah. that I just love about scripture mm-hmm. is um, how Jesus continues to remind people like the in his kingdom, the folks that are considered with the highest regards aren't the ones that are sitting high up on the stool and like looking down their nose at everyone else. It's the folks that are down there Mm. washing other people's feet and serving. Yeah. Does it remind you of any kind of like movie or, or TV scene, you know, where it's, it starts off and I racked my brain today trying to think of a good example and I didn't come up with one. So this is why I'm asking you, but you know, where, where you've got, the the imbalance almost like the imbalance of power you know this pharisee is is the really high-ranking guy and then he invites jesus over to look good like jesus is the the biggest celebrity on the block and so he invites jesus over and uh you know it's it's for show it's for show but he ends up getting it's really schooled in the process is what to me is what happens um I, I like to, <laughs> I find myself doing this more and more often. And I know it's just me reading myself into the text, but I like to read shade into Jesus's voice. a lot. <laughs> I really, really do like mocking kind of condescension. I really do. But I know that's my issue. I'll be working on that. I promise I'll be working on it. But well, I mean, I read um, AAVE or um, Black Sin into Jesus's tone sometimes. <laughs> I can hear him say, my girl, you know, that ain't it. <laughs> yeah. we, we, might, we might have to do another, another episode that explains, explains that <laughs> the dialect you're using there, <laughs> or maybe not, maybe we can just let people look it up on their own. So, uh, but um, can you imagine? So they're in there. I'm sure Simon is feeling all puffed up with pride and in walks this woman q in the neighborhood there was a woman let me let me let me read it there was a in the neighborhood in the neighborhood you got people in your neighborhood right you know those people in your neighborhood um and it says she was a woman i wrote ill repute an immoral woman of the streets in the neighborhood there was an immoral woman of the streets and it just made me think of, you know, that moment when you walk into a room and you know, everybody is talking about you. Yes. You just know the silence, the tension is just thick, so thick. And you know, they were talking and talking bad about you too. So I just, and then it, it just creates this scandal. But what I, when I was, um, when I was doing the background research on this verse, this was actually pretty common for a big banquet what what simon was doing was throwing a big public party big public statement of oh i have this famous rabbi over at my house and 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 so the public could come in and make petitions basically 
to the, the visiting dignitary, the visiting guest. And so that's exactly what this woman is doing, but she goes away, way far with it. Um, so, so tell me about how this scene with this woman and then this interaction, this woman and Jesus, I think we've all heard 10,000 sermons on that, but this woman and Jesus, but then this, this connection that now they all three, this, this, this weird love triangle to use your words, this <laughs> Simon and Jesus and this, this woman who was probably not Mary Magdalene, who knows, I'd like to think she was, but, um, but you know, this now weird, now we have a weird love triangle. So what does it make you think of? Well, so one of the first things I noticed um, is when when um, Luke describes her initially, he's describing her as an immoral, immoral woman and she's mm -hmm. got this reputation and she's a prostitute and blah, blah, blah. But then as you get further into the passage, um, she's described as broken and weeping. Mm. Um, so for me, it's it's also this idea of going from what a person represents hmm. to what is actually their state of being or their heart. Okay. Um, and how Jesus was able to transform their view of that woman from just what they could see on the outside to what her motivations were, what her, what her heart was and why she was expressing this level of gratitude. Hmm. Hmm. So, so I wanna stay with this just for a second, just this idea of she walks into the room and it's one kind of tension because of, of how everybody knows her, her reputation and that some in the room might've known her reputation more intimately than others. <laughs> but, um, and then when she she transitions into weeping and anointing and is broken, talk to me about how that that shifts to a whole other level of of bias as well, especially in the church. Talk to me about that. Yeah, so I've seen it from a couple of di different perspectives, and I've I've seen it be one where um, people sort of don't allow. Um, themselves to get past what they can see on the outside. So mm. you can be crying, you can be poor, you can um, have pants on with, as a woman and walk into the <laughs> church and people think you should have on a skirt, you know, that this kind of stuff um, and not really get past it. But I've also seen where um, in the church and also even in just in organizations, when you're talking about something like the culture of the organization, you have that one person and you're willing to just listen mm. to what it is. What is, what's the story behind those tears? Or what's the story behind the action? Or, you know, what brought you to this place? Sometimes it could be even be what brought you into the church doors, right? Or what brought you into um, the house, into my house or into my banquet. Um, and then when you have the opportunity to really, when you take the time to listen, you can really shift your perspective. And in this case, um, it sounds like that they were pondering. Hmm. I'm not sure if they had a really a um, pure shift in hmm. perspective, but um, Jesus was definitely challenging 
um, their way of thinking and their way of thinking that how I experience it and how I know it and how I feel about it must be right. Yeah. Yeah. I know having spent so many years praying for folks and when new folks come in and then they come up for prayer, you, I, I, I'll speak for myself. I had to learn to let go of my expectations or my prejudgments of what people were going to ask for prayer for. I was, I was often very surprised. Sometimes I was right, but you know, when you have people who are coming for prayer, it's a, it's a very humble, a very lowly heart place. And it reminds me that that's, that's how that was, that woman was coming. This woman was coming to Jesus, but I've seen that also go a couple of different ways. Like, like you said, in church, I think often those are the moments that can usher in what in the charismatic community, we would call a Holy spirit fall where Mm -hmm. the spirit just blankets the room and, and, and everybody feels the presence of God, but there are always going to be people who are just like, whether you want to say their hearts are hard or their, their level of discomfort is so high that they can't get to that moment. They're just like, ah, mm, ah, uh, you know, looking around. Um, and so it's just really, um, it's just really interesting to see that, that play out. And I, I, I personally see that in the scripture quite a bit. Um, but I love, let's, let's go to Jesus and let's talk about, let's talk about our Lord and savior, Jesus Christ and how he, (laughs) how he really takes, takes this to a whole other level. So you, you started talking about it earlier about how he tells a story um, but, you know, set, set it up for us about how, um, how, how he leads into the story and what do you think his real goal and agenda is? Well, for one, when he said, I have a word for you, or mm-hmm. I have a, a listen to sit down, let me tell you a story, right? Then like, I'm sure. <laughs> it's me reading myself into the text is like, Psst. <laughs> and I'm sure what came out of Jesus' mouth is not anything what he was expecting when Jesus said, mm-hmm. yeah, I had a word for you, right? So in that state of mind, it's, you know, let me tell you how wonderful you are. And, mm-hmm. you know, let me, sh- let me show you, you know, how you can have mercy on her, whatever the thing is that keeps that um, balance where you're sitting up here and, and she's down somewhere, um, and so he kind of hooks him in with this, um, this story that he tells. And then he tells a story that it's hard to say, oh, no, that's not right. The guy that owed the least money should be, you know, the most appreciative. Mm-hmm. Um, so he starts at a level where it's um, hard to disagree. And mm-hmm. he kind of reels them in from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So... So do you think, do you think he was caught off guard? Who? The, uh, the Pharisee, Simon. Yes. Yeah. And I love that about Jesus because he's good at catching folks off guard in these stories. Yeah. I mean, he's <laughs> I don't a love it so much when he catches me off guard, but when, you know, when right. other people's stories. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I certainly like to watch it happen to other people because I'm like, yeah, yeah. Woo! <laughs> But I don't like Jesus, Jesus rattling my cage very right. much. 
And I feel like that's what he's doing. But to me, it's in such an, an intelligent and insightful and really gracious way. I mean, we know that from other scriptures, he had such difficult, harsh, he saved his harshest words, his harshest reprimand, reprimands for the Pharisees. I mean, later right. they would just go toe to toe to toe. And, um, and so this to me, I feel like Jesus didn't want to embarrass Simon because he was a guest, he was at his party, but there, there is a high degree of correction that's happening. In, I'm wondering in, too, if it has to do with the state of mind that the woman was in as well. Like if he hmm. just knew that if she was already coming in broken and weeping, that he didn't want to set the environment where he's, you know, yelling at people or flipping mm. over tables or whatever the right. other um, means he's used before. Mm. And he wanted to be able to use a gentle correction, both for her sake and for Simon's sake. Well, well let's talk about what can we learn from, th from this encounter? I mean, I think we found over the course of these last four weeks and the, and the work we did together before in, a, in our previous classes, just the you know, e each situation is different. And so we have to have lots of tools at our disposal. We have to have a, a big tool belt in conversations, especially very difficult conversations and clearly pause. I think you said that either the, I think it was either the second or the third week to, to really pause and let God guide you, let the Holy Spirit direct you. But what do you practically see as something we can, we can take away and how Jesus redirects this um and, and i i also do say i feel like he i agree with he's there, there's a protective element of this woman absolutely 100 percent, and i love that i love that about jesus um but you know in in, in thinking about not just how simon would have re re received what jesus was saying but also the people around him you know what can we whether we're spectating, whether we're the ponderers or we're actively engaged in a conversation, what do you, what, what can we learn from this? Um, I'm going to answer your question, but I'm just going to say before I answer, um, the question that I left um, listening to Omar last week with that I wrote down that I've been pondering, um, and I think it's going to be kind of swirling around in my head for um, a good minute is how do we bear witness to God's love when we don't agree? Mm. Um, and so I think the answer to your question around how we address these situations um, first has to do with ourselves, mm. right? So um, you, you can't always prepare yourself when you're walking into a situation in the dry cleaners and you're just getting your clothes <laughs> and you don't know who you're going to run into. But, you know, in some of these situations where you know you may be interacting with people with that are um, stubborn or hard-hearted or just have a different opinion um, that you can first look internally, mm. right, and say, you know, what, what is my motive here? Mm. Um, and if my motive is to be right, then that's probably not the right time for me to even speak up. Maybe the answer is that I, I just go to God in prayer for my motives, right? Um, and if the motivation is um, showing God's love to remember that God always um, demonstrates his love through grace, 
mm-hmm. right? Through the fruits of the spirit. Um, and um, even when he is right, you don't see a lot of right fighting from him. Mm-hmm. It's, um, you know, and I think that should be our approach as well. Trying, to, being willing to hear others' perspectives, being willing to share our own perspectives um, where we feel um, safe and where we feel that it's appropriate, but just being um, willing to not just see ourselves as like we're going out to convince everybody else that what we feel is right, but also, you know, when we walk into a place, it's for us to experience God's presence as well. Yeah. So we're prepared for whatever those stories may be, our perspectives may be, that we can take a minute and allow that to um, to help us to at least consider our perspective. And there have been times when I have um, gotten into those situations and heard somebody out or heard their story and considered their perspective or, and then I said, that doesn't make sense for me, mm-hmm. right? But at least being willing to um, come from a place where you, um, your own heart is prepared for yeah. what comes next. Yeah, the, the phrase that comes to me is that is you, you don't center yourself in the discussion. You don't center yourself, your experience, your knowledge. You, you, you decenter it and let, let there be space for a pouring in of, of stories. And then, then you get to sort through the pot. Right. <laughs> And you can, you can discuss. And I, I think that takes, that, that de-escalates, especially very, very um, challenging conversations um, to where it's not, um, it's not so heated. It's not so difficult. It's not so painful. Um, and I see, you know, I see Jesus using a story here. He uses questions elsewhere um, where he just, he kind of grabs it and takes it in a, in a different direction. Um, and so uh, my closing question for you, before we go into our question and and reflection time is in most translations, I've noticed that this passage is called the sinful woman. That's the, that's the section heading before they go into this passage. It's called the sinful woman or something to that effect. But in light of our discussion, our, our focus on um, where we go from here in having hard conversations, what would be, what would be your title for this passage? And, and I love to, that just scrolled through my, um, my version to see what it was called in the passion translation. It's actually called extravagant worship. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the lesson is really that even in these situations, it's an opportunity for us to see God, mm-hmm. right? And so our um, worship may not look the same as someone else's, but I would entitle it an opportunity to see. Mm, yeah. Even though yeah. that's not, it's, it's not the same passage as we saw last week, but yeah. um, it really was um, an opportunity and, and probably not the best um, taking advantage of opportunity for this woman to come in and really bless them, right? Mm-hmm. To see Jesus in a different way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the way that we need to um, see these hard conversations. 
is that it's an opportunity for us to really see each other in a different way, to mm -hmm. see our experiences and perspectives in a different way, but also to see Jesus in a different way. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think I would, as I'm sitting here think, thinking through and listening to you, I think I would change it to decentering ourselves and centering God. I think, and I think that's a good motto for life, <laughs> especially yes. in these times. Decenter yourself and and center center God. Well, I mean, I think COVID was a great lesson in how much we really were the center to start with, right? Yeah, <laughs> and still try to be right. Still. Just holding on. That's uh, that's going to be another series. <laughs> we're we're going to have a, a post mortem on COVID when you know when things maybe that's a twenty twenty two series. Maybe that's a year from now. We have a post mortem on mental health and and decentering whiteness and all that all that good stuff that came up. So I'm going to write that down. I'm going to make that note. So. Um, Thank you for being here with us all these weeks. And I'm, I'm going to have you back. We're going to figure out when you're coming back. Because I'm know. looking forward to it. I appreciate uh, y'all having me. It's been a great um, few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, stick around. Stick around for uh, this, this next series that I, I don't know if it'll always be Christian, but it'll always be me because it's Mondays and that's what I do. So, uh, but thank y'all so much. I appreciate all of your feedback. And if you've got anything you want us to be talking about or thinking about, please, please send it all my way. So, um, all right. Well, Tawana, why don't you, uh, why don't you close this out on a quick word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we just thank you um, that you have prepared all of the hearts and minds of the speakers that were um, here as part of the series, of the guests um, and participants that were here. Um, we know that everything that you do is on purpose and we thank you for allowing us to participate um, in the purpose that you're fulfilling through this series. We ask that you um, continue to bless um, everyone's on the line, everyone that wasn't able to join today. Um, help us to continue to ponder um, the, the scriptures and the thoughts that you've given us through this series. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.